You're listening to Japanese Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. So today I want to talk about the big questions.、Um, for the next couple of weeks,、uh, there will be different kinds of messages. And I just wanted to ask ourselves those important questions of being Christian and being in the church. And I thought this is a good time to do this because、uh, a lot of us are sort of coming out of hibernation, if you will, right? We spent a long year and a half, almost two years. Of just、uh, trying to survive, trying to do the best thing. And it's hard to be, you know, it's hard to think about the big questions because you're just trying to get through the week, trying to get through the day. But in another way, if you look at it, the only way that we're really going to get through those hard things is to like hold to the most important things that we value. And that's some of the things that I want to be talking about in these weeks to come. And as we're trying to recover and wake up from wherever we're coming from, it's good to ask ourselves, well, what next? I think we've gone through a very long season of just being in between in a fog. But now it's kind of coming upon us. It's like, hey, we've got to start making decisions for what's next.、Um, just talking to a lot of my friends who are parents, they're just thinking about、oh, all this school stuff. Like, how do we start doing school in a strange time? It's not going to wait for us. We've got to make decisions. What's next?、Um, with church, you know, for me, I just like, well, Things are happening. We've got to decide, like, what are we going to do going forward?、Uh, just in light of a lot of things going on in our community and within our church, what's next? Some of you are going through a life change. Perhaps some of you are in retirement or approaching retirement and you're thinking, what's next? Or、uh, maybe your children have graduated and you're in a new phase of what your family is going to look like. What's next? And so it goes. And I think one of the most important things for us to do is to zoom back a bit and ask the big questions of who am I? Who am I? And what has God called me to be? See, my understanding of who am I and who God has called me to be are actually the same thing. Our identity is who God calls us to be. Our calling and vocation in life is directly tied with our relationship with God. And what we do in this life. How we operate, the decisions we make, it all comes out of our identity, which is intimately tied with our calling.、Uh, if you know the original word of calling, it's vocatio. It's about the one who calls. And so the important thing,、um, vocatio means calls,、uh, called. And so when we ask ourselves, if I'm called, then who is calling? So, a lot of our calling, our identity, is wrapped up in who is God and who am I? And so, if we really want to understand, like, what is God calling me to in this current time, it's important to know who are you and to know what God is asking of you. And so, what I want to do today is to debunk this a bit.、Um, when I was growing up, I realized I had a lot of assumptions. About who I am and what God is calling me to be. And I don't know if you have that, but I just want to share it personally for me.、Um, I'm a pastor's kid, as some of you might know. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a very、uh, intense like,、uh, church experience. Like, we were at church all weekend long.、Uh, my dad was involved with church nonstop all throughout the week. When I got older, I was heavily involved in my youth group and my college group. Just really immersed in this Asian,、uh, Korean, Canadian American culture. 
of what does it look like to uh, be a Christian? And, you know, some of the things I picked up along the way were things like this. It's like, you know, you have to give up everything of yourself so that you can follow God. And if you're not doing that, you're being selfish. Um, you have to be completely committed to what God wants, not what you want. And then I remember, in fact, I had a conversation with someone. Uh, it was after two years of going to Japan, uh, living there, just really having my eyes opened, having a lot of like life, world, like emotional, spiritual experience. And I felt coming out of that, because I was in a very non-church culture. As some of you know, like Japan is approximately, I believe, 0.5% Christian. And having gone there, I just began thinking about God in a not a religiously cultured sort of sense, but just learning to develop what my life with God was outside of those boxes. And I remember coming away and uh, I met with a friend afterwards and I said something to the effect of, you know, I learned that it's really important to learn who you are and what you want in life and to really go for those things uh, because that's really important. Something very simple like that. And I remember my friend listening to this and he said, you know, that sounds really selfish. And I felt really bad for saying that. And I had to unpack that for many years after. And so what I'm hoping to do with um, today's message, I'm not an expert. I'm still figuring these things out. But I wanted to think about this understanding of how we think God is against us. And I want to talk about how all these ways that we think God is against us. But I want to tell you today that God is not against you. But my hope is that by the end of the message, you'll see like how much God is for you in your identity and in your calling. Because so much of my understanding growing up was like whatever I wanted to be, whatever I thought I was, whatever I dreamed for, whatever I hoped for, God was against all those things for this reason or that. And what I'm hoping to tell you today is that God is not against you, but God is for you. So the first thing that I realized in this kind of journey as I go through the scriptures is I looked at the story of Moses and I discovered a couple of things. The first thing I discovered is that God is not against your personality. What do I mean by this? Um, if you know the name of Moses, the name of Moses means to draw out. He was called to draw out people, to call them out, to bring them out of who they were into something new. And you see this, that he was drawn out uh, from the water because he was uh, in a time of great risk and he was drawn out to be saved. And just like that, he had a calling to draw out people from oppression and slavery. Now, he tried it at first, and he didn't do very well. Um, he ended up killing an Egyptian, and he ran in fear. But God never gave up on him and continued to work on his calling and eventually drew him out so that he could draw out people into freedom. God is not against your personality. I think sometimes we grow up thinking like, ah, oh, I just don't like how I'm like this. I don't like how I care about structure or how I really care about this kind of thing. I don't like how I get emotional about blah, blah, blah. And a lot of us can start to resent the way that we are. We grow up looking at a world that is comparing each other and we're thinking like, ah, oh, I don't like this. I'm sure Moses was like, I don't like how I get so upset when I see injustice. And you see it as a young person he couldn't stand to see that Egyptian um, slave master oppressing those Hebrew slaves. And he probably thought, 
after he had killed the Egyptian worker, he's just with grief. He was probably thinking, ah, I hate how passionate I am. I hate how like involved I got into that. I wish I could have just stayed out of that. Do you feel like that sometimes? Like there's things about yourself you just can't help doing and you just can't stand it. But could you maybe flip it around and see that actually it is those very things that God loves about you. But it's when we take those things too far that they become our weaknesses. When passion and a thirst for justice are taken too far, they can go wrong if they're not tempered with wisdom. But those fundamental things are actually things that Moses needed in his calling later on in his life. Maybe for some of you today, you regret that you are so organized or so focused on this, or um, you just spend so much time in reflection and listening to others. All of those things are wonderful things if you can begin to realize that these are gifts and not burdens. God didn't give you difficult personalities that you've got to sift through for the rest of your life. God gave you gifts. How can God use those gifts for good? God is not against your personality. The second thing is that God is not against your desires. Psalm 37, it makes clear that when we delight in God, God grants us the desire of our hearts. And this is really important to realize that these two things are not in opposition to each other. They're in fact rooted in the same place. What God desires for your life and what you truly desire are actually the same thing. Uh, for some of you, I guess some in the room might be too young for this, but there was a very famous movie, Chariots of Fire, that talked about um, the famous Olympian, Eric Liddell. And a famous quote in that movie was that, he said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And what Eric Liddell was trying to say is that, you know, I love to run. I love to run fast. And when I'm running fast, I encounter God. Now, as someone who doesn't run, I do not encounter God when I run fast. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I think I'm very far from God when I do that. Some of you might feel, feel that way. I know for me, music, when I just take a moment to just stop and play music, I encounter God. When I am creating, there's this moment where I have peace. Uh, even this morning, uh, Eden was running around, um, you know, uh, Rio was cleaning up, but I just really needed a moment to just be with God. And so I just wanted to start playing piano this morning. And just playing some music, just in the calm of the room, I felt like I had a small divine encounter. Many times if we think that God calls us to something, it is that God is going to take away the thing that you love the most and going to send you to something that you don't like. And the more that you don't like it, the more noble you are. Because look how noble you are in giving up everything you love for the sake of God. And sometimes I wonder if God's like just kind of listening to us. It's like, oh, would you quit whining about it? I mean, I don't like it when you talk like that because that's not how I think. God gave us joys. God gave us desires, and God works best when God works through our joys and desires. When we treat God as a cruel taskmaster that we must obey, you know, the attention is on us and not on God's goodness. When we keep talking about our great obedience, 
and how we hate things so much, and but we're gonna persevere and be a good, um, good Confucian following, uh, duty following, obligation fulfilling people. We turn into self-glorified martyrs, and the focus is no longer on God. How is the goodness of God glorified when we begrudge the joys and passions that God has given us? The attitude that truly brings attention and glory to God is someone who radiates in what God has fully called them to be and fully made them to be. And that means fully moving in your passions and your desires. God is calling for us to discover the joy that God has intended for us since the beginning of creation. It's not an end point, but it's a continual unfolding journey. If you will, your, call, your calling is to find out how can the joy of my life go deeper? How can I cultivate more joy, the joy that God has given me? For Eric Liddell, it was how can I learn to run fast? Not just fast, but faster and faster because there I find God's pleasure. God is not against your personality. God is not against your desires. And God is not against your dreams. I remember uh, a pretty poignant conversation that I've shared, I think, in the past. Someone was telling me about, I met with my pastor one day, and we were just talking. And the pastor asked me, if you could have anything or do anything in your life, what would you do? And then she grew quiet. And she began to cry. And she cried, she said, because she didn't know how to answer that question. She realized that she had no dreams. Proverbs 29, 18 says that people perish for a lack of vision. You know, regardless of your personality, where you're coming from, do you have a dream? Proverbs says that if we don't have dreams, we perish. Many people live in despair because they do not believe that God has a dream for them and that God's dream for you and your dream don't have to be at war with each other. Many of us fear dreams because we fear disappointment. We fear committing to saying that I have a dream and I'm willing to see it through because we're afraid that we can't fulfill it. We're afraid that God is somehow going to call it out or laugh at it, or God is going to sabotage it. I remember when I was young, when I was really discovering how much I love music, I was playing music all the time. I was playing piano all day, then after piano, I'd play guitar late into the night, much to uh, the anger of my parents, <laughs> you know, they couldn't sleep. And, uh, and then after that, I would start playing other instruments again, I'd start writing, I couldn't stop. It was almost like I was like possessed. And then what happened was um, I started to develop carpal tunnel syndrome. And I was really scared. I really thought that maybe I had actually fallen in love with music too much and then God was going to take it away from me. And I began to think like maybe this is what happens when you try and dream something and it's not about God. Because for me, what I thought God was like, you know, my dad's a pastor, right? You know, I got to want to do ministry. And I didn't have that dream. 
Now it's funny. I'm a pastor now, so that's kind of funny. But at the time, I didn't. I just really loved music so much. And I thought that because I love this, this is my dream, God's going to stop this dream, so he's going to take away my hands. Um, my carpal tunnel was getting pretty severe, and I actually had to do physiotherapy for, like, I believe a year, a year and a half, to get kind of back up to speed again. And that was a very humbling time. I just really thought God was taking things away. And what I realized is that God is not necessarily taking things away, but perhaps reordering your understanding of your passions. And I learned that I didn't have to choose one or the other, that perhaps I could find God within the things that I dreamed about, the things that I loved. It didn't have to be just simply doing church music or evangelistic music, but perhaps just trusting that when I am following God and following the passions that God has created in me, following the dreams that God has created in me, that maybe I'm going to find God in the middle of all this. And that took a lot of trust. For those who do have a dream, many of us are on the lookout for how God will snatch them. Think bigger than just thinking that you have to make evangelistic songs. You have to make evangelistic conversations. You have to do forced public prayers. What would it look like to take seriously the presence of God in all of your life? That God is not just a God of spectacular moments and burning bushes, but God is a God of every moment of your life, mundane and wonderful. What if we could dream that there is a way to live our lives where when we dream, it's not going against God, but going with God? Which leads to the last thing I wanted to share about today. When we're thinking about identity and calling, a lot of times when we fully embrace who we are and what God's called us to be, we think, I'm going to fail. <laughs> Why do we think that? Looking back at the story of Moses, um, even though the account of scripture that we read today, as some of you know, when Moses had this amazing encounter with God, after 40 years of just wandering, trying to figure out who he was, he finally has this great moment. I don't know if some of you have had that kind of feeling, like you've been wandering for 40 years, just like hiding from things. You know, he was just hiding from himself, trying to be a shepherd when he knew that God was really calling him out to draw people out, to draw people into freedom. He was hiding in the wilderness. But God doesn't give up on us, and that's the good news. But here he is, finally, after 40 years, in this amazing moment, the burning bush, it's, this is like a bona fide like, miracle, friends, right? This bush is on fire, but not burning up and being consumed. And then he's hearing the voice of God. I mean, what more do you need, right? This is like definitely God speaking. But how does Moses respond if you read the account? He says, I don't know. Send somebody else. Maybe you got the wrong guy, right? Now, I know a lot of us are probably thinking, wow, if I had like a direct encounter with God, I mean, I would be all in. That's what I'm just, I just need the amazing, like if I had a miracle come for me and just confirm, yeah, God, I'm all in. But here, Moses gets what, God, what he wants. And he's still thinking, send someone else. Uh, you've got the wrong person. And this is the last thing I want to say to all of you, is that God is not against your success. 
Why do we act like that? Why do we act like that? It's because we're scared, like God's sending us out to fail. I think often we, we say things like, you know, when the time is right, when God calls me, when I'm a good Christian, that's when I'm really going to live for God. You know, when um, our financial situation gets better, when our kids grow up, when I finally get through this project, then, God, I'm all in. So all that stuff happens, and you're still not doing it. What's going on? It's because when it finally comes down to it, you just don't want to do something that you fail at. I know, you're scared, right? The person that we follow is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ never disobeyed the Father at any point. And where did Jesus' life end? At a cross. All of his friends deserted him. He was ridiculed, shamed. He died with people even shouting at him on his last breath. I think some of us think that's how the story of Jesus goes. But you've got to remember this, is that when you are called to a great calling, it does not come easy. And indeed, it does come to a cross. But what is truly powerful about the Christian story is that our stories do not end in death, but they continue through resurrection. When you follow a calling in God, you may end up in a cross. But how amazing is it that we also believe in the resurrection, that not even the most unimaginable obstacle not even the obstacle of death can stop us from fulfilling what God has for our lives. If we have that understanding, to know that the power of resurrection is behind our identity and our calling, then we don't have to be afraid. For many of us, we think that obedience leads to being suffocated, frustrated, and forgotten. And I assure you, that if you're doing a calling worth pursuing, it will be hard. If you're doing something in life that doesn't require a lot of challenge and sacrifice, then I don't know how much you're going to add up to. I think anything significant in this life requires a cost. However, whatever that cost is, whatever we give up, we discover we find so much more in the resurrecting life of Jesus Christ. When we discover the dreams of God in our life, the values and definitions of success in the world don't apply to us anymore. We begin to redefine success not in worldly terms, but in terms of the kingdom of God. To think that even this church, though small in many ways, is very powerful in the kingdom of God. This church has built up so many testimonies spanning way past Seattle, going into nations. There are testimonies in this church of ordinary people just doing ordinary things, being who God called them to be, and they did wonderful things for God. And this is what we read about Moses. Moses was just a baby in a basket found in the water. But now Moses will never be forgotten for being a person who led people into freedom through the calling of God. I believe that God is for you. God is not against your personality. God is not against your desires. God is not against your dreams. God is not against your success. God is for you. 
And God asks that you trust your life with God because God knows you best. I'm going to talk about discipleship in several weeks. But if I could define what I think discipleship means, it means this, is that all of you for all of God. All of you for all of God. And if I can go for uh, a little further with that, all of you for all of God, because God is for you. It's not about so much that God is going to move and shake the whole universe around you. It's actually when we move our world around God, we discover what God wanted to do with us all along. We discover our place in the world. We discover who we are. I know sometimes we think, what would it take to make you happy? They did a survey of, uh, in the Philippines uh, where they tried to interview the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich. And they say, what would it take for you to be satisfied with your life? And it was amazing. Consistently, all across the board, whatever their background, they all said, I would like 30% more of what I have. You know, and that's what we're all thinking, right? I'm not asking for the world, right? I just want 30% more, just a little bit more, right? But here's the, here's the lie about this. It's like you get that 30% more, and what do you want? 30% more. <laughs> when does it end? It doesn't. There are so many things telling you, like, this is what you need for to be a fulfilled life. And I'll tell you, the great secret is not for me, but in the scriptures we read, the true satisfaction of your desires is to understand who you are and who God has called you to be. Live in it fully and watch how everything changes. Amen.